0: John chapter 5, we're entering into a next major section of the Gospel of John. If you'll remember, we have been presented with seven testimonies that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you may have life in His name. And now with John chapter 5, we're entering into this next section where Jesus has Numerous conflicts with Jewish leaders, the Jewish people, the people that he came to minister to. We're going to see that Jesus is getting into a lot of conflicts with them. I remember one of the more famous scenes in the movie Braveheart, where you have Mel Gibson who's playing William Wallace and he's fighting for Scottish independence from the English. I'm kind of torn about that movie because my family's from England. But uh, anyway, he he rides past where the officials were there to make uh, terms for peace and, in his mind, surrender. But he rides past them, and as he's riding past them, they ask him, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to pick a fight. And that's what he did. And I want to submit to us today that when we get into John chapter 5... Jesus is going to pick a fight. Why is He picking a fight? Well, Jesus knows that in order to be obedient to His Father, He's going to have to enter into some conflict here in the world. He's going to have to, in order to honor His Father, make some people upset. So what does He do? Let me let me summarize what happens in the first 18 verses here. Jesus knows what he's doing. Nothing Jesus does is by accident. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, and so he goes to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. We're not told which one. Could have been Pentecost. Could have been another one. But he goes, and in Jerusalem, there by the Sheep Gate, there was a pool called Bethesda, And there was a multitude of sick, lame, and uh, blind people, some who had a withered hand or some kind of deformity. And Jesus knows what he's doing. He goes up to this place, and he finds a guy who's sitting there next to the pool. Now, the belief at this time was that if the water stirred, if you were the first one in, you'd be healed. They believed that an angel of the Lord would come and stir up the water. We don't know if that's true or not, but that's the belief that they had. So Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus knows what day it is. Keep that in mind for later. Jesus knows what day it is. He walks up to this guy and he asks him his question. Do you want to get well? The guy's response is... Yeah, of course. I'm I'm by the pool, aren't I? But I can't get in. I can't be the first one in because as soon as I stir to get in there, somebody else jumps in. And Jesus says this. Remember, Jesus knows what day it is. Jesus knows where he's at. And he he says to the man, I say to you, verse 8, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. And so the guy gets up. Verse 9, immediately the man became well, picked up his pallet, picked up his mat, picked up his bed, and began to walk. And look at the end of verse 9, we are told what day it is. It was the Sabbath that day. So if you know anything about Jesus and if you know anything about the, the Pharisees at this time, they had this belief that there could be not just a ceasing of work on the Sabbath, which is what the fourth commandment calls for, but they had such rigid and stringent rules for what you could or could not do on the Sabbath day. And one of the big no-nos was for you to carry some type of furniture, Now, you may be thinking, why would they carry a big bed or something? But this is a little small pallet, a little mat that the guy had. And Jesus told the man, get up, take your mat, take your pallet, and walk. And from the Pharisees, the Jewish leader's perspective, they're there on on the Sabbath, and they see this guy walking by them, carrying his pallet. And they say to him, what do you think you're doing? You can't do that on the Sabbath day. Who told you to walk around carrying your pallet? And I love what the guy's response is. He said, the man who made me well told me to get up and carry my pallet. Carry my mat. And the, the, the leaders were just like, who is this? Who told you this? And he didn't know at the time that we're told in here that he didn't know it was Jesus. Afterwards, he found Jesus, and Jesus has a sense of humor. I hope you can see the humor in what Jesus does. Jesus sees this guy. He. He knows it's the Sabbath. He knows that he's already gotten in trouble for carrying his mat out. By the way, Jesus was the one who told him to do that. He knows that the guy's gotten in trouble with the Jewish leaders. And he says, hey, I see that you are well. Don't sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. And the guy's like, oh, it's Jesus. Jesus. Word about Jesus had gotten around before. They remember when he tossed the tables in Jerusalem uh, around the Passover time. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders are now really angry right now because they found out that it was Jesus who had told this man to get up, carry your pallet out of here. And so they go to Jesus. Not only is this guy in trouble with the Jewish leaders, now Jesus is in trouble with the religious leaders. And they say, why are you doing these things on the Sabbath? Now, let's pause right here because you remember Jesus could have said this. Jesus could have walked up to the pool at Bethesda and have said, hey, guys, I'll be back tomorrow. Because today's the Sabbath, and I really don't want to get in trouble with the religious leaders, so guys, don't go anywhere. I'll be here tomorrow. But he didn't say that. Jesus walked up to this guy, knowing it was the Sabbath day, and said, Do you want to get well? Guy's like, Of course. Jesus could also have said, Get up and go your way, and don't forget, tomorrow come back for your pallet. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, take your bed, take your pallet, take it, and I want you to walk out this way. Now, you remember, this is another instance of a crisis of belief and an opportunity of faith because the guy who had just been healed could have gotten up and said, no, Jesus, uh, I'll come back for my pallet tomorrow. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to go against the religious leaders' understandings of Sabbath traditions. No, what happens is Jesus is here to pick a fight, and He's doing so in order to demonstrate that He is the Christ The son of God. Because when they come to him, they're like, Jesus, why? Why are you doing these things? Verse 15, the man went his way. He told the Jews it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, verse 16, the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus. Jesus. It's not that Jesus was breaking the Sabbath. It was that Jesus was violating their traditions concerning the Sabbath. And it is for that reason he chose to do so many of his miracles on the Sabbath day. So they asked him, they told him, they said, you can't be doing these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus said in verse 17, you're going to love this answer, by the way. Jesus said, my father is working and so am I. And if the religious leaders were upset with him before, well, then this really made their heads explode. They're like, what? Come again? Excuse me? That's a Nacho Libre reference. I come again? What, what are you talking about? And it says in verse 18, for this reason therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. And then from verses 19 all the way through the end of the chapter, you do not have Jesus apologizing. By the way, remember why we're here, right? Remember why John is presenting this gospel. He's saying, "This is the Christ. This is the one who existed before all creation. This is the one through whom creation came into being. This is the word made flesh and the word was with God and the word was God. This is God the Son and he has come come and dwelt among us. He is the Christ." the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life in His name. And so John is showing us this sign that Jesus performed. This sign was the healing of the man who was sick, who was at the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus demonstrates His power into which Jesus simply told the man to get up. By the way, The man could not have obeyed Jesus' command until Jesus had given it. The man wanted to get up, but he couldn't get up because of his physical limitations. But as soon as Jesus, by the way, is this the Jesus you serve? Is this the Jesus you worship? As soon as Jesus said, get up immediately, I love that word. Immediately, the man got up. And the, first, and the next command Jesus gave was, take your bed out of here. And the man wasn't going to argue with Jesus because he just healed him. And I, and I remember that when the man was walking by and the, the religious leaders told him, who told you to do these things? They're like, the man who made me well told me to carry my bed. And this man testifies to us that I'm going to do what Jesus says. I'm going to follow his commands because religious leaders, last I checked, you haven't made anybody well lately, but this Jesus has. And if he tells me to get up, if the one who heals me tells me to get up, I'm going to get up and go, and I'm going to carry my bed with me. So in verses 19 through 47, Jesus does not say, whoa, 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 guys, wait a minute. I think we've got a misunderstanding here. Don't get too upset, please. I think we've just got a lack of communication. No, there is no miscommunication from Jesus's part. Jesus came to heal this guy because he's going to have this fight with the religious leaders. Because Jesus is going to take this opportunity to share with them that He is the Son of God. And that the Father takes great delight in Him. And that the Father has honored Him. And that the Father has granted to Him eternal life. I mean, you look look with me in in verse 19. He says... Uh, in response to this, this accusation of blasphemy. Who do you think you are? Only God can do these things. Jesus said, well, truly, truly, I tell you, the Son, talking of Himself, can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. You're going to accuse me of making myself equal with God? Well, let me tell you about who I am and how the Father views me. Look at verse 20. The Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. Oh, they're marveling all right. They think he's crazy. They're in. Inra- we see, and we're going to see throughout uh, chapter 5 all the way through verse 12 the religious leaders and the people who are ref- refusing to acknowledge Jesus. They want to kill him, they want to silence him. He's disturbing things. These teaching things contradictory to what they are teaching. And now Jesus is making it very clear that I am the Son of God and I am obeying my Father and my Father loves me. And look at verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead, by the way, that's not controversial to the Jewish leaders. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so... The Son also gives life to whom He wishes. He is making Himself. He is speaking in a way that is unmistakable that Jesus, God the Son, is equal with God the Father. Because He gives life. Just as the Father gives life, the Son gives life. Look at verse 22. For even the father, not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son. The father gives life, the son gives life. And the father has granted to the son the ability to judge. And you see back in verse 20, the son does the works of the father. And you see the, that this culminates in verse 23, for, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. By the way, the Jewish leaders are picking up pieces of their head off the floor at this time. They're getting the duct tape. I don't know if they had duct tape at the time, but if they did, they would be wrapping it around them, their heads because they're probably just looking at him stunned By the way, this is also why some of the people would acknowledge we've never heard anybody speak this way. He he speaks with authority. He speaks as one who knows God. And he says to them, you will honor the Son even as you honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. If, if you truly love God, you will acknowledge that He has sent His only Son who does His works. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. When you believe, look, look, look closely in verse 24. He who hears my word. Whose word? Jesus' word. If you hear the word of Christ and believe him who sent me, you will have eternal life. And you will not come under the judgment, the condemnation that our sins require. But you have passed out of death Into life. Let me ask you this question Have you passed out of death into life? Feel free to give a hearty amen if you have. Do you believe in the Son? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And by believing in Him, do you have life in His name? Amen. You have passed out of death. Into life. Yes, this physical body will still die, but you are no longer fearful of death because you have received eternal life. And then in verse 30, 25 to 30 we see that Jesus mentions not only uh, does the Father love the Son and He has given the Son eternal life and He has given the Son the ability to judge. In verse 25 He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Those who hear will live. Just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself. And He gave Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Jesus is not backing away from this fight. You can tell He's prepared for it. Who do you think you are that you can heal on the Sabbath? Well, let me tell you, I'm the one in whom the Father delights in. Who are you to tell this guy that he can break the Sabbath traditions by carrying his mat through? Jesus says, you know what? He heard my voice, he responded to it, and he obeyed. And also, I want you to know this, that an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear my voice. And we get a preview of that later on when Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come out. Do you know why Jesus said, Lazarus, come out? You're going to like this. Because if he had just said, come out, everybody would have come out. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's just Lazarus this time. It's just Lazarus. Everyone who hears My voice will come out in this resurrection. And we're told in a resurrection, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Who do I think I am? I know who I am. I am the one who does the works of my Father. I raise the dead. I judge. And I am worthy of the same honor that you give to the father i mean they're they're speechless they have no response that's given in the rest of chapter five chapter five is is all jesus talking because their their tongues probably stuck to the top of their mouth and they're just i don't know what to say but jesus is making it plain to them You say you love Yahweh. The covenant name of the Lord. You say that all your life is about following the Lord. You sing, oh, we love the Lord. You recite the Psalms of David. You worship at the temple. You offer the sacrifices. You do all the things that you believe that a good Jewish person should do out of love for the Lord. And yet the Lord himself is in your midst And you hate him. And you want to kill him. Remember Jesus planning on picking a fight? He's picking a fight. And he knows that this fight is going to end up with him dying. And that's all part of the plan. And Jesus goes even further... In verses 31 through 47, that he is going to give five witnesses that testify against them on his behalf. And the first one he gives in verse 31 is himself. He says, If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. What does he mean by that? It's not that he's a liar, it's not that he's saying anything false, but he's acknowledging that as the Christ, as the Son of God, my testimony is valid because I am completely honest and trustworthy. But I also know that according to the law of Moses, you need to have the witnesses of two or more. So it's not, he's not saying that my testimony is a lie. He's saying, for your sake, I am. I'm going to call on some more witnesses to back me up. And then he goes to John the Baptist, verse 33. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. John the Baptist declared that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John, we, we saw it earlier in the Gospel of John, that John the Baptist was clear, I am not the Christ Christ. I have come to prepare his way. So the one who is coming after me, he is the one in whom I am unfit to even undo his sandals. He is the one who must increase while I decrease. And we see later on that John the Baptist's testimony was troublesome to the religious leaders. Because when Jesus asked them, John's ministry, was it from God or from man? Was it from heaven or from the earth? And they had to to hold a council together. Well, if we say from heaven, he'll say, why didn't you believe him? And if we say he was from man, then we're afraid of the crowds that they might hurt us. And so they gave this wonderful answer. We don't know. But they did know. They just didn't want to hear it. And then he goes to his works, verse 36. He said, But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. And here we have Nicodemus betraying the Pharisees. In which you remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. For no one else can do these signs that you do unless God were with him. Jesus gives his testimony. John the Baptist uh, uh, Verifies that testimony. Jesus said, if you, if you won't believe them, then look at the works that I do, that I come from the Father. And then speaking of the Father, verse 37. It was the Father who sent me, and he has testified of me. And you have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in him whom he sent. In Luke 9, 7, we are told that the the voice from heaven of the God, the Father, said this. He said, this is my beloved Son, listen to Him. Jesus is very clear that the Father testifies of the Son and His true identity. And Jesus also knows that the, the word of the Father is not within them because if it was they would recognize him but as it stands they don't and so they that proves that the word of the father is not within him within them and then fifth he goes to the scriptures verse 39 he says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life it is these who testify about me You remember the disciples uh, on their walk after the crucifixion and resurrection on their way to Emmaus. And they met Jesus even though they didn't know who he was at the time. And Jesus explained to them from the law and the prophets about how they spoke of him. And then he throws Moses into this. He says, "If, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. Think about this statement. They're they're angry at Jesus because he's healing on the Sabbath. He has this guy walking through, carrying his mat. And we get to the point to where Jesus says, Moses was talking about me. That's who I am. And this is common for Jesus to do. Jesus, you remember, he went into the, the synagogue and early in his ministry in Luke chapter 4 and he opened up the scroll of Isaiah and he, and he read from Isaiah the prophet, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has granted me to give life and to set at liberty the captives. And Jesus rolled up the scroll and put it away and he went to set that, sit down and everybody was looking at him and he said, this, in this, at this time, These words have been fulfilled. And they knew what he was talking about, but they didn't want to believe it. And here's Jesus. He says, you search the scriptures and you read about Moses. Moses was talking about me. The prophets were prophesying about me. Micah, when he prophesied uh, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That's me. Isaiah, prophesying about the suffering servant in in, uh, chapter 53, Jesus is like, that's me. Even all the way back to Genesis in the garden, when Adam and Eve rebelled against the Lord... And the curses were brought upon Adam and the woman and the serpent, but the, the Lord said to the serpent that you will bear a son, and he will, he will crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent will bruise his heel." Jesus is like, "That's me. That's me also. All of it is about me. The, pro, the prophet Daniel, when he prophesied about the coming Messiah, Jesus is like, "That's me. All of it is me the te- the scriptures testify of Jesus as the Christ. Now what can we learn from this important chapter? Well, we learn a lot about Jesus, but before we get to Jesus, we need to learn something about ourselves. As Christians, we must remember that legalism is not obedience. What's the first thing that comes into your mind when you think of legalism? You think of Pharisees. Why is that? Because legalism is all about obeying commands. And it's phrased this way. Legalism isn't obedience in order to praise. Legalism is obedience in order to be praised. And the Pharisees exemplified this because they weren't interested in private prayer. They were interested in public prayer. They wanted people to see them. They wanted people to notice them. And legalism is an obedience to a a strict set of rules so that you can feel better about yourself and it's not about God. Jesus is picking a fight because the Pharisees are legalists and they're leading God's people astray. They claim to love God and yet they hate Jesus. And Jesus is exposing their heart. The legalist obeys rules in order to earn the praise of others, not because they love God. Psalm 119.24 says, Your testimonies Are my delight. They are my counselors. And so, some some probing questions for us. We got to ask ourselves why we serve God. Are you an obedient servant who loves the Lord and his commands? Because when you love the Lord, his commands are not burdensome. Or are you simply following a rigid set of rules to be marked off a list? Are you simply following a rigid set of rules? If so, prayer will be boring and unnecessary. So this is where you got to ask yourself, is prayer unnecessary in my life right now? Is there, are there certain things I can accomplish in my life apart from prayer? If so, there's a problem. We need to install some flashing lights up here. There's a problem. Prayer will be boring. Church will be a chore. Now, I know nobody in here considers church to be a chore, right? I've been there before. Ah, it's Sunday again. Oh, Can we go out to eat after church? I'll go if I can go to eat after church. Take me to Las Brisas and I'll get... No, I haven't. This was when I was much younger. If you're just simply following a religious set of rules, church will be a chore. The cartoon Simpsons many, many years ago kind of summarized this well to where... Homer and the family are getting back from church and they get into the house and they start taking off their Sunday clothes. And they're so happy and they're so excited. And Marge says, why are you guys in such a good mood? And Homer just betrays everybody. He says, because this is the longest time we have from more church. Because he saw it as drudgery. He saw it as something that just had to be done. Church will be a chore. Prayer will be boring. Bibles will grow dusty. And Christ will remain a stranger to you. We don't want to raise up legalists in our congregation. We don't want people who have an appearance of godliness but deny the power thereof. We don't want people who have spent years on a cushioned Baptist pew, being told by Jesus one day, depart from me, I never knew you. Hear the words of Jesus from Matthew twelve seven: I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus doesn't need anything from us. We're not doing Jesus a favor just by following certain religious rules. What's the whole point of Christianity? If you get nothing else from this sermon, what's the whole point of Christianity? To know God and to enjoy Him forever. Do you know Jesus? And do you enjoy Jesus? If you don't, you need to get to know Him. Sadly, there are some People who identify as Christians that they're absolutely miserable. You know why they're miserable? They got the worst of both worlds. They've got just enough of the world to where they're 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 not fully committed to just satisfying their selfish desires. But they've got just enough of so called Christianity that that they they have to perform certain, certain functions on Sunday mornings and other times. And they're miserable. Why? Because they're double minded. They're on both sides of the fence, and they're trying to maintain both sides. Hear the call of Christ come on over. Jump in to the deep end. It's it's good. Spiritually speaking, don't just wade in in the shallow pool. That's for the kids. Jump in. The water's great. And we also learn in closing about Jesus. Jesus is worthy of divine honor because he works as the Father directs. Jesus works with divine power because he does what he sees the Father doing. And Jesus works with divine favor because he is loved by the Father. So we are taking our time as a church, going through the Gospel of John, because we recognize that the days are short. Have you recognized that so far? Some people are like, yeah, time is flying. Well, trust me, it's going to get even faster and it's going to get even shorter because we are one day closer to the return of Christ. I can't give you a date. I wish I could. I can't give you a date, but I want you to feel this right now. We are one day closer to the return of Christ. He's coming soon. That's the best I can give you. He's coming soon, and we need to be ready. So how do we get ready? Well, we get ready by knowing Jesus. We are going to take our time going through the Gospel of John because I want us to all see Jesus. I want us to know what He said. I want us to know what He did. I want us to know who He is and what he has done and what he will do. And as we enter into this time of invitation, praise team can go ahead and come up at this time. But as we enter into this time of invitation, I want to ask you, do you know Jesus? You may be in your pew right now and you're like, of course, pastor, I got saved Ten years ago, 40 years ago, I've been a Christian for many, many decades, and I know Jesus, and I love Jesus, and I've committed my life to Him. And if that's you, amen, hallelujah. And thank you, Evan, for sharing that, uh, what was the first word, lost to learner, right? Lost to laborer. If you're somebody here today that's like, I love Jesus, I'm committing my life to Him, That's wonderful, amen, hallelujah, and you're still not done yet. You know how I can tell you that definitively? Because you're still drawing breath. So what do you need to do? I like the laborer. You remember what it said in the laborer? It said a disciple who makes disciples. So if you're at that stage in your spiritual life, I want you looking around and saying, Who can I show Christ-like love to? And who can I help train up in maturity? If that's you, make that next step of faith. Maybe you're here today and you're like, okay, I know I'm a Christian, but I'm not where I need to be. I got some things in my life, Pastor, that I'm not going to share with you right now, but you're going to have to take my word for it. I know Jesus, I know I'm saved, but I got some things in my life that I'm not happy about, And I know I need to deal with. And every Sunday I come and that invitation extends for just a little bit longer. I think to myself, maybe I should go up and pray about this. But then the song ends and I'm able to go home and kind of push it off. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Some of you are like, yes, get on with it. Let's go. No, I'm not going to get on with it. This is important. You know you're a Christian. You know Jesus as your Savior. But there's something holding you back that you haven't let go of yet. Don't wait. Time is short. Release it to God. Be free of it. Did you know it's possible to be victorious against sin? Right? I'm not saying you're going to live in perfection the rest of your days, but it is possible for Christians to be victorious against sin. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm not a Christian, but I know I need to be. If that's you, don't let another day pass apart from Jesus. Pray to receive him as your Savior and your Lord. We're going to sing our last hymn.